History happened everywhere. The verdict. Out of office. This is our after show podcast where we look back at the most recent episode, Energy in Bouvet Island from 1950 to today. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and check it out or else you will find spoilers ahead. Wake me up when you're ready. I'm Pete Goddard, and I am here in the studio with the shrimp to my Barbie on this hot summer's day, Mr. Ryan Weir. Hello there, I'm a shrimpy man. Uh, And of course we're here, as ever, with the deviously despotic, the judge himself, Mr. Paul Dursley. I think you need to have a shower, Ryan. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I can smell it from here. And I'm in the studio, imagine how I'm suffering here. Nevertheless, we're here to talk about the episode, not to chit-chat. So, unfortunately, I seem to have entirely forgotten everything we talked about. So, Ryan, is there something you could do about that? Well, I think the easiest way is if I just give you a quick summary. Maybe 60 seconds? When do you want me to do it? Starting now. For this out-of-office episode, we headed south to the most remote location in the world, the ice-capped volcanic island called Bouvet. We looked for some energy available on, in, and around the island. We found thin magma, wild wind, and an ocean-filled buffet of krill. We dove deep to the seabed, dragged up some lithium, and we headed into space to unravel the explosive mystery of the Vela incident. Some might say it was movable, but beautiful. <laughs> that was last week's episode done Summarised nicely, nice one son Now we're over to a young Dursley Who's gonna tell you what he thought of me He'll take you apart without any care He's the lovely Paul Dursley The lovely Paul Dursley I thought it was a magnificent episode. I was fascinated and thoroughly enjoyed it. But my opinion is as nothing compared to what we're really here for is to understand what Paul Dursley thought. Now, Paul, any first impressions you'd like to share with us? Well, I was quite surprised, but you will be pleased to know I did remember where Bouvet Island was and I did remember that it was Norwegian. They had a better starting point than I did, for sure, then. The judge is so smart. He is, and normally we'd ask him if he's been there, but I think we already know the answer to that one. <laughs> so yeah, we... I think the closest I've been is Cape Town. Which is the closest, probably. <laughs> but still yes. very far away. <laughs> yeah, is it somewhere you'd like to go? Uh, no, not really. I don't think you could put it on a brochure, despite our best efforts with the sketch. <laughs> I don't think many people know about Bouvet. Island. It, it certainly doesn't come up very often, but you'd think that it might, given how mysterious and lonesome that island really is. Well, I, I suppose it's the most lonesome of the lonesome, isn't it? Whereas you've got all of the other islands in the Atlantic, um, you know, St. Helena and mm-hmm. the Falklands and South Georgia and Tristan de Cunha. They're all sort of populated and they have a military use, whereas it seems, apart from South Africa... Bouvet Island hasn't doesn't really have much of a military use. It doesn't appear to have any military use. It, it seems to be just purely a nature reserve. Or a target point. Or a target <laughs> point. <laughs> For your nuclear testing. <laughs> now, I did, I must admit, I liked, I would, as ever, I like to have a little bit of extra information for the verdict and there's things yep. I like to follow up on. But I have to say, I had a little Google and you have covered the ground, Ryan. I couldn't really find anything extra out about Bouvet Island. I feel like we've very much done the lot. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, part of the research was, I mean, I just wrote down pretty much everything that I could find about Bouvet because it was all fascinating and it all seemed to be entirely relevant. Which is ironic because you could have got away with 
energy is everything. And so I'm going to talk about anything at all and call it energy. <laughs> Would that have been acceptable, Paul, or is there rules to energy? Well, you you failed to take into account entropy. Oh, classic error. <laughs> well, you know, energy cannot be destroyed, but it can be degraded. Oh, okay. I need to know a thing or two about degrading. <laughs> I get degraded all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. So beyond your best behaviour. <laughs> So what does it degrading uh, mean then? Well, the way that the universe works is things go from ordered states to disordered states, whereas the same amount of energy is there. But in you know certain cases, you might have all of the energy in an orange or the potential energy, um, etc., in that orange. But over time, when it decays and effectively turns into nothing, that energy has sort of decayed or degraded into a form of energy which is very difficult to transform into another form of energy. And, and so if you have no external actors on a body, temperature cannot spontaneously increase. Ah, I see. So it requires an input. To... It can if you put an input into it, but sort of just the sake of being there and over time, the energy will degrade. And this is sort of one of the things you hear about when they talk about sort of rather paradoxically called the heat death, but it's not. It's the lack of heat death is, you know, the universe could just end by basically fizzling out. Wow. Because the energy can't convert itself to a more degraded form. Um, what about uh, creating new energy? Is there any kind of theoretical creation of energy? Well, that's perpetual motion. Right, and that's impossible, is it? And, and again, it's, it comes back to the second law of thermodynamics, which is the heat death, saying the entropy will always increase, i.e. get more and more degraded. So if you can't create energy, you can't turn that around. It's called time's arrow as well. Whereas, you know, in small isolated systems, we can do that because we are highly ordered humanity in the sense of, or any, any creature is because it's ordered, uh, you know, evolution has come in to create these things over the short term. But over the long term, the second law of thermodynamics will win and take everything out. But I suppose there's the fundamental question of, well, if there was supposedly a Big Bang and energy can't recreate it, where did it come from? I was about to ask that, funnily <laughs> enough. Uh, genuinely. Yeah, yeah. So, so what's so, the answer? So, yeah. <laughs> Nobody knows. Yeah. What's the best theory? Probably randomness. The second law of thermodynamics, in some sense, is to do with probability. And there is nothing to say that the atoms around you couldn't spontaneously come together to create an elephant in your room. Really? It'll never happen, but given, <laughs> given, a, given a sufficiently large period of time, something like that might happen. Because the probability is not zero. So presumably, if there is an infinite amount of time for randomness to occur, the correct amount could suddenly happen and spontaneously a big bang yes, could occur. If, if, you, if you had a, a sufficient, it doesn't even have to be infinite. It has to be sufficiently long. That There may have actually been a chance that some of this degraded energy may have just been moving around and it just happened to be in the same place where gravity could start pulling stuff together. It's one of those questions, is it even a valid question to ask what happened before the Big Bang? I will let you know if an elephant spontaneously appears in the room. I think that's something to watch out for. I think if there's an elephant in the room, you should Maybe talk, we about, talk it. about it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what about the disappearing island? Yeah, what happened to the missing island? Yes, yes. Thompson so that, Island. 
that got me thinking. Oh. Have you ever heard of the Mountains of Kong? Is this where King Kong was from? Possibly, but mm. you haven't heard about them because they don't actually exist. Oh. However, for about 200 years, they were always shown on maps as a fact. The Mountains of Kong. The Mountains of Kong. They sort of run through what's now Nigeria. Well, they don't, but <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're sort of phantom mountains that it was almost like one map maker just sort of thought, oh, I'll just draw the them on here. And then the next map maker just copied him and the one after that copied him <laughs> because no one had been there. Yeah. And, and so these mythical mountains, and it seems they were on one map until 1926. No way. Kong. Oh, that's awesome. The A to Z used to do that, didn't they? They were the makers of the A to Z maps and they would add in fake roads or little streets so that if anybody stole it and copied their maps they would know because those streets didn't exist i think they have a name don't they yeah it's like a copyright protection isn't it yeah it is do you think it was just added by mistake because it sounds like they really did see something it was probably a fata morgana yeah mm, probably classic a fata morgana it's always a fata morgana what's a fata morgana and you don't know for the audience yeah i mean know, obviously yeah, we just... both know clearly <laughs> uh well it's a sort of mirage generally happens at sea where it could have been the there was a temperature inversion which meant the refractive index of the air sorry this is getting a bit technical but would change so effectively a ray of light would bend so you'd actually be seeing something that's over the horizon oh no way that's kind of cool it doesn't happen very often but it can happen no and in an area where it's especially foggy i can't imagine that you'd be going to be seeing anything beyond the horizon could it just be a ghost island arguably if it was foggy they wouldn't have seen it anyway yeah. So they, they, it, by definition, it couldn't have been that foggy if they saw something. I find it interesting that your response, Ryan, to it's a Fata Morgana, a documented and known actual phenomenon yeah. of projecting an island that's not there, yeah. is to reject that theory yeah. and suggest instead it's a ghost, it's a ghost island, island. <laughs> which sounds a lot like what we just said. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it's called rational versus irrational, Ryan. I am quite irrational. Irrational Ryan, they call him. <laughs> now, one thing I found interesting in my entirely failed attempt to find anything new about Bouvet Island was, of course, I also was slightly surprised that Bouvet Island came up as one of our countries, but it mm. obviously is a country on some by some definition, because one thing that did happen with all of my Googling is all of these various services that rely on presumably a database of countries, like Hotels.com, came back with, would you like a hotel on Bouvet Island? <laughs> and uh, various oh, facilities yeah. that these various websites like would you like needless to say you go through and put some dates and go oh i can't find anything on those dates i, th I think <laughs> it's the iso 3166 list isn't it of country codes yeah probably yeah yeah, yeah. Some, list, i've probably got that. i've probably got the number of but there is an iso list and technically it's not countries it's countries and territories code so yeah. you do get you know the famous one is united states outlying islands whatever that is mm. yeah but the bad news is uh, i was unable to find a hotel in any time period on buffet island <laughs> despite hotel.com tempting me in with that first link did you try hotel.bv <laughs> no, no, I, I, I think you should sue them <laughs> you were so looking forward to going on holiday though <laughs> i had my helicopter booked <laughs>
you know, we were talking about the lifeboat that was found and everyone was like, well, what on earth happened here? Who was it? There was no signs of any sort of human remains or anything. So did somebody get stranded there? Was the boat just washed up ashore there? But then there was the case of all those weird little man-made items. It wasn't just the boat, was it? It was the flattened out copper copper boiler thing. thing. Yeah. Anyway, a post on Reddit by uh, user Qualis Libe. They appear to have solved the mystery. Referencing page 129 of Transactions of the Oceanographical Institute, Moscow 1960. Great, great edition. Uh, they summarize the page, stating that in the 1950s, the Soviet Union sent a whaling fleet to Antarctic waters every year. The flagship of the, that whaling ship was called the Slava and was accompanied by several smaller whaling vessels, which were called Slava 1, Slava 2, etc. Anyway, 1958, Captain Captain Alexei Solinyek, the leader of the Slava whaling fleet, he was cruising around the South Atlantic with Slava 9, the research vessel, and on board was his son, scientist Gennady Solenik. Together, they visited Bouvet Island on the 27th of November. Uh, Gennady took a party ashore on a life raft and they did some sciencey stuff, but then they couldn't leave in time because of the weather. Basically, you know, the life raft would have been, you know, smashed to bits. Uh-huh. So they bunkered down on the island and they had to stay on Bouvet for about three days. And according to a further article, the Soviet Moldovian magazine called Kodri, that uh, 10 men were rescued on the 29th of November by helicopter. And because of that, that's why the life Lifeboat was abandoned. Oh, mystery solved. So it's not a mystery. Awesome. No. Mystery that's no an, more. That's an amazing hunt job by the uh, Redditor. I'm slightly disappointed, I'll be honest. They didn't do this in response to this episode then, did they? No, this was actually solved, I think it's a year or so ago. So you did... Okay, thank you. I'll take a note of that. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Dang it! Oh dear, oh dear. I did a personal review of the film Alien vs. Predator for the listeners. Did you? Yes. Well, I didn't do a personal review. In the episode, Mm. I said it was essentially an hour and a half of almost complete blackness. Yes. Uh, (laughs) I thought it was unfair to judge a film just on the fact that I couldn't see anything. Uh, I think I may have even seen it on a flight, which didn't help. Uh, so I, I looked it up just to make sure I could give a more balanced view for our audience. Okay. Uh, and Aliens vs. Predators got 21% on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. But it's got 39% on the audience score. So people like it better than critics. And the BBC say, what's not to love? Uh, other critics say, unsurprisingly mediocre. <laughs> unsurprisingly. <laughs> Expensive claptrap. <laughs> and poorly scripted, poorly directed, poorly cut poorly cast wait 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 wait. have you been reading the hhe reviews <laughs> have you confused the two poorly cut poorly scripted poorly cut it does sound familiar actually now you say that i may have got mixed up but it uh, did say it was very expensive that's true yes that one is uh very much not about history happened everywhere but still on the subject don't forget to leave your reviews at apple Podcasts and anywhere else you'd like to Get us onto Rotten Tomatoes. That'd be a trick. <laughs> so, yes, there we go. So the objective view is not a very good film. Hmm. So spending time on the island, uh, I was saying that you might get to see some lovely wildlife. Albatross heavy, as I recall. And petrels. Yes. Petrels <laughs> and albatrosses. Lots of petrol, yes. A lot of petrol, yeah, on the island. Nord Energy has suddenly pricked up their ears. P-E-T-R-E-L. <laughs> <laughs> but I did mention the parasitic Jaeger. You did. And you went, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> that one doesn't sound like the others at all. <laughs> 
Yeah. But the the bit that intrigues us, I think, both is the parasitic part, right? <laughs> <laughs> Hunter as a bird makes sense, right? Birds, birds hunt things. But this is the parasitic Jaeger. So when you think of a parasite, you think of like tapeworms. And... Yeah, or something attached to you. like a Right. It's not so quite it's parasitic on what? Right. But it doesn't mean that it sucks anyone's blood. Uh, these are birds which are called kleptoparasites. Um, it's a term used to describe animals that steal food from other animals. Kleptoparasite. That's a great word. Yeah, it came from the, the root word kleptomaniac, which you've probably heard of before, meaning someone who steals compulsively. And the parasitic Jaeger steals food from gulls and terns and petrels and albatrosses. Um, basically, it harasses the seabirds and they force them to basically drop their food from their bills. And then they grab the food midair or from the surface of the water and then fly off with it. So are seagulls parasitic? Because that's what they seem to do. They sort of pester people. They pester other birds to get the food first. They might be incidentally parasitic with where the opportunity arises rather than be their very nature. Yeah, you see them after fishing tra- trawlers and things, don't you? Like then they'll, they'll take fish from the sea. Well, they go after babies... Chips and ice creams, don't they? Did, did the seagull steal your ice cream one day? No, I just can't stand the things. <laughs> Gotta admit, I'm kind of with you. They're noisy and they steal your food. Yeah, they don't look very nice and they don't sound very nice. They're spooky and they're big as well. Oh, some of them massive. are huge. Some of them are enormous. Yeah. Well, look, the parasitic Jaeger also collects berries and eats insects, rodents and small birds. So rodents? It'll take whatever, yeah, whatever, whatever, anything else is caught. Are there any berries on Bouvet Island? Uh, very few. There's a lot of moss, though. Moss uh, lichen. <laughs> so do they eat moss? I, uh, no, I don't think so. I think they probably just make so their nests. So why are they on Bouvet Island then? Because there's lots of other birds that that have food. <laughs> anyway, it can survive up to 32 years in the wild. Wow. It's quite a long time, really. I used to go to university with an albatross. Some poor Scottish chap whose surname was Ross was always just known as Albert. So one of the other things we talked about was the idea of the shield volcano. Yes, yes. the runny, runny lava, as I recall. This surprised me. I thought there was just lava. Didn't you do geography at school? No. <laughs> I was off that day. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, it surprised me. I thought lava was lava. No, it's a different... It has different densities. Right. Okay. So shield volcanoes, as I said, they have like a thin flow of of lava, which spreads out across huge distances. And because of that thin layer gradually building up from one central point, that's where you get this dome-like effect, which looks like a shield, hence why shield volcano. And that lava is known as mafic lava. Mafic lava. M-A-F-I-C. Mafic lava. And it has a low viscosity it, okay. has a, it has a lower silica content in the actual lava itself, and so it's just it's just runnier. Is that runnier where they get the lava. packets of silica to put in your products? Yes. That's why they say don't swallow it because it's lava. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, a little factoid that I have is a great Scrabble word. There's a word called ah double a, which is a Galapagos term for lava, a, t- a specific type of ropey lava, lava called ah. Ah. Just called ah. Ah. Yeah, A-A. Oh, wow. So what's the other sort of lava then? 
The other type is called felsic lava, and that's the classic one that you'd think of, big uh-huh. erupting volcano, big sludgy lava pouring slowly down a, yeah. down a mountainside. That's called felsic lava. But the interesting thing about mafic lava is that because it's thinner, it means that water and gases that are inside can more easily escape. And that means that when eruptions occur, they're less explosive or violent. Oh, right. So it doesn't go boom, boom. It just sort of blah. <laughs> it just blurs all over the island. Uh, but mafic lava is responsible for the formation of basalt rock, which I'm sure you'll have heard of, and okay, is the, yeah. the basis for most of the ocean floor. Ah, Well, yeah, but most of those deep ocean ridges, the lava is quite runny, isn't it? Well, that's exactly why it is. That's mafic lava, and that's why most oceanic volcanoes are made of basalt and made of mafic lava. There you go. Geology. Geology happens everywhere. Geology, yeah, it's a spin-off show that we're working on. <laughs> it's very, very niche. <laughs> but you still have a peak, right? You've got Olaf Toppen in the island, right? Yes. And I did look up, because I was curious that this is a mountain, and we mm. do know that people like to climb mountains. And I wondered if, sure given is. this had not had many people visit, mm-hmm. whether this would be a peak that no one had ever climbed. Can I guess the Irish got there? <laughs> <laughs> that was an excellent callback to the island episode, for anyone who wants to go back into our back catalogue. Uh, no, in fact, it has in fact been climbed, Olaf Toppen. Excellent. Uh, it was on the 21st of February 2012, a group of people, Aaron Halstead, Will Allen, Bruno Rohde, and Johan Luid, and Jason Rohde, went up and down the peak in mm-hmm. nine hours and then the next day they took a second team up which seems a bit pointless because you're no longer the first person to climb the peak but they did it so Olaf Toppen although in a highly rarely visited location has been scaled wow that's amazing I can't imagine the preparation that goes into that just looking at the right weather and all that sort of stuff and like they had to land on, on the sea because they had to climb from the bottom right so they had to go in by boat and climb oh, from the goodness. bottom I don't I don't know the answer to this but what is the highest unclimbed mountain oh are we including ones that start at the bottom of the ocean well it doesn't really matter does it because it, however you measure it it would still be higher I would argue you can't climb a mountain that you have to swim down to <laughs> <laughs> yes I, I agree with that <laughs> to answer the judge's question in 1994 Bhutan near the Tibetan border prohibited anyone from climbing mountains higher than 6,000 metres, 19,685 feet, out of respect for local spiritual beliefs. As such, the 40th highest mountain in the world called Gangkarpwensham, which is 7,570 metres, 24,981 feet, is now considered the world's highest unclimbed mountain. Thank you. So, Ryan, we've come to the end of the line, I think, and you must step into the dock and prepare to face the judge. I will step in now. Judge Dursley, are you ready to deliver your verdict? Yes, and don't sound so chirpy, Mr. Weir. (laughs) Apologies, Your (laughs) Honour. Will the defendant please somberly rise? I have somberly risen. Your Honour, as ever, we'll set the proceedings off by asking for your verdict on factual content. Well, this is quite a difficult one because clearly there isn't much fact about the island and all of the fact is pretty much documented so it's a case of uh, yeah, there was there, there wasn't much winnowing needed i'm sure but what is your verdict sir i'm going to be slightly harsh on this and let us see Boo! <laughs> Science in court. 
could have got away with that by going, Bouve Island, very nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the next category, entertainment value. Were you entertained by the episode? Uh, the value for entertainment factor, there were a couple of sort of skits in there, weren't there? I would say there was a smorgasbord of thoroughly gripping sketches. Okay. <laughs> I wouldn't. Um, I will give you a C again. Another C. Ooh, another C. Two C's. C's. Now we're up to the wild card, as it were, the Dursley Factor. Dursley Factor, did this appeal to you? Energy, I feel this personally. I suspect a good Dursley Factor here. But I am no judge. Judge, your verdict, please. Well, your your senses are correct because it was, it was almost a perfect combination or perfect storm or verisimilitude about the subject in the time period. It was to do with energy and I liked all the nuclear facts. So yes, you're right. I'm going to give you A minus for that. I enjoyed that bit. Fireworks go off in the courtroom, (laughs) worryingly. (laughs) (laughs) And so there we go. C, C and A minus. Well, let's see. We reached the final verdict, the one that really matters. Uh, Ryan, though, before the judge passes his verdict, this is your opportunity to enter a plea. If you choose to do so, please make your plea now. Well, I was readying a plea. (laughs) (laughs) Until the Dursley factor came around. But I would like to just say that I very much enjoyed this episode, Uh, both the research and recording it. I had great fun and I've enjoyed doing this verdict too. So bring it on, judge. I will accept whatever you offer. All right, here we go. Your honor, the defendant stands respectfully, head bowed before you. Have you reached your verdict? Uh, yes, I have. And so, I would ask you respectfully for your final ruling. So, my final verdict on energy in Bouvet Island from 1950 to present is a... <gasps> no. <laughs> 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 it is not a... It is a... B-. That's a good score. How do you feel, defendant? Uh, I'll take a B minus any day of the week. That's a good score. I think you've done yourself proud, Dave. I'm Bouvet Island proud as well. Thank you, Your Honour. My pleasure. That is our show for this week. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch about any of the things we've talked about in the show or say hi, you can reach out to us on social media through the website, hhepodcast.com, or email us, Pete and Ryan, at hhepodcast.com. Have you, have you stopped skiving off now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to be back to our regularly scheduled HHE episode next week. That's correct. In the meantime, we'd love to hear from you guys. You never know, uh, you might end up featured on a future show. And you can definitely feature on a future show is rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or other reviewing sites. But Apple Podcasts is one that really pushes us out there. Uh, if you recommend us, it helps other people find the show. And we'd really appreciate that. Yeah, that's right. And if you're on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter, you can find us at HHE Podcast. And if you subscribe to one of those, you're going to get an alert every time we post one of our one minute animated HHE Bites. Uh, Naturally, as previously mentioned, we'll be back with our normal programming next time. But in the meantime, huge thank you to the judge. Thank you, Paul. I I was trying to think of a witty comeback, but I couldn't. So good night. (laughs) (laughs) That is it. I'm afraid we've got to bring it to a close. Uh, All that's left to say is you've been listening to... So, Paul, 
Yes. In Britain, we have a radio show where celebrities are interviewed about what luxury items they would take on a fictional desert island if they were stranded yes. there. Uh, some of the items that have been selected over the many years uh, are a set of golf clubs, a bottle of wine, a flushing toilet, a jet ski, family photographs. One bottle of wine. That was that was it, a <laughs> bottle of wine. Yeah. Feels like a lack of imagination on their part, but carry on. Yeah. Um, my item, I think, would be a karaoke machine. Right? I could entertain mm-hmm. myself, and also I can... I can have a future career as a singer. What song would you sing for your rescuers? Rescue Me. I think Rescue Me's yeah, the song, res- isn't it? Rescue Me. Oh, yeah. Me in your yeah, if, but if, if, if I was coming to rescue you and you started singing that at me, I'd go away. <laughs> I think, that, that's that why I need just, to practice. That's so bloody obvious. <laughs> Imagine that you're saving ships drifting in towards the harbour and they're like, oh, no, he's got a karaoke machine. Back <laughs> off, back off. <laughs> They'd hear me from the distance, I suppose, yeah. Um, but I was also, yeah, it's like a microphone and a speaker so I can shout. To answer the question you haven't yet asked, mine would be a cyanide tablet. <laughs> <laughs> Your luxury item is a cyanide tablet. Amazing. Seems quite logical to me. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Peter? What would you take? Well, I like it. I would take a large whaling vessel. I think I think those sort of things, like things to escape, are explicitly banned. Fine, two bottles of wine. <laughs> <laughs> and meet up with the other person. Yes. You can have three. <laughs> you might as well have a cyanide capsule. <laughs> Could you imagine if you took one bottle of wine in? Sipped it like, oh, no, I don't like this one. It's corked. (laughs) 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 Anyway, there you go. Um, probably about a hundred thousand kilojoules.